Youthscape podcast, a podcast for Christians who work with young people. Welcome to a new season of the Youthscape podcast. I'm Martin Saunders. With me, as always, my fearless co-host, Rachel Gardner. Hello, Rachel. Hello, Martin. Good to be with you at the start of this, at the genesis of this new season. You are a youth worker. Mm -hmm. I am a youth worker. Mm -hmm. Although, uh, as we'll probably explain in in this or later episodes, those things are constantly, definitions are constantly evolving. Um, But... We want to just describe a little bit about what this podcast is in case you're a first time listener and also to tell you about the beautiful surroundings in which we're recording today. We like to give context and permission. Context Context and permission. So uh, this is a podcast for anyone working with young people. We uh, speak to a brilliant guest every week uh, and this kind of season, uh, we now do seasons and this is on a particular topic which we're going to unpack for you in a minute. But we're, we're coming to you from the incredible offices of Youthscape in Luton. Just describe... Uh, to the listener, the beautiful surroundings in which we find ourselves this morning. Well, I know I'm not going to start there. I'm going to start by the fact that our producer has separated you and me. So we are literally either end of a long, long room. So if people listening are thinking, oh, it's nice. They're sat next to each other. They're friends. They're chatting about stuff. They've been doing this for years. No, we've been separated like naughty school kids. It looks like Putin's dinner table if you've seen that (laughs) pictures of that. We're literally, it's like you're very concerned that I'm about to, to make an attempt on your life. And so you've separated yourself right to the other end of the hall. You're about to nick my latte. And the thing is, both of us are getting on in age. So I'm feeling like my eyesight is like, what, what's that facial expression? I won't be able to pick up on any of your social cues. Because as we know, when you sit in a grey backed chair with the clothes that you're wearing, you just, just disappear and all I see is your face. Getting yeah. on in age. I mean, what, where's that come from? We've know. never talked about ourselves as middle aged before. No, we haven't. We never cover that. So, but yeah, so we're here in Luton in this beautiful mill, converted mill. And we're in one of the wonderful rooms. And there are young people downstairs doing some stuff with Compass with some of our youth workers. There are some of the team, the mental health team and our National Youth Ministry Weekend team. And everything is going on all around us. And, yeah. and you and me and David are sat here whittering away about youth ministry we're, because we love it. We're a little goldfish bowl today. We so are. we're in the, one of these glass fronted meeting rooms uh, at, at Butte Mills. And there's a there's a group of teenagers who are going to be constantly filing past us Thinking, to use the loos, go to what the kitchen, and it does it. It looks very cool. It I does mean, it, look cool. Dave has made this setup look really cool. We've got microphones. We've got a little desk thing. It looks yeah, amazing. Yeah, but if they don't wash their cup up, I will so see. Yeah, you should go out and talk. to And them. I need to get a megaphone. Oh, you didn't wash your cup. Young people love that. So we've been doing this <laughs> podcast yes. for a long, a long time. Like, I think six or seven. Years. Now. I think we claimed, we like to make claims that we can't verify, yeah. but I think we have claimed it's the longest running youth youth work podcast. <laughs> longest running youthscape podcast. It's the lo- longest running youthscape podcast. Yeah, it is long. So running. I think we started in about 2016. Did we really? Yeah. And so oh the full days. archive is available where you get your podcast, but also on with a bit more context on uh, the website, mm. uh, youthscape.co.uk forward slash podcast. I think. It is exactly that. And uh, you you basically can see all the ones that we've done. And and we used to just sort of witter 
Yeah. I mean, let's let's be honest, we still do. That is what we do. But we don't just witter. So we, we do we've always had a guest, but now we have these structured seasons. And I'm just going to put it out there. We've worked very hard on this season. I'm we really, have. really yes. excited about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and our theme, Into God Knows What, which anyone listening to the end of last season, I couldn't quite work out. I couldn't quite work out what. It's one of those sentences that you're like, into what knows who, into God knows <laughs> why, and into where goes what. You know, one of those. It's but, very clever. But it's very clever, Into God Knows What. And I, I like titles like that, Martin, that make me go, ooh, there's a big horizon we're opening up to. And that's exactly gentle listening what is going to happen we are literally lifting our eyes casting our gaze ahead and thinking what is coming down the line that is absolutely going to impact young people emerging generations and absolutely going to affect infect affect youth ministry how we engage young people so that is also the theme of the 2023 national youth ministry weekend which is either a few weeks away or if you're listening to this in the future Mm. kind of meta that is isn't it goodness Uh, trying to dodge our robot overlords uh, but listening to the Youthscape podcast uh, in some sort of time capsule or something. Oh my goodness. Uh, that, that happened in November 2023. Uh, the theme is Into God Knows What. And we are looking at how we navigate the future and how we help young people to do that. Because we live in, I mean, <laughs> this is a cliche, but we do live in very uncertain times. Yeah. And I think that's that's always been true. We've always said, gosh, the world is getting worse. The world is very uncertain Actually, I don't think it's ever felt for such a sustained period since 2020, really. Mm. It's never felt so like we just don't know what's coming down mm-hmm. the line. We don't we don't understand the future. It feels very dangerous and and a bit scary. Mm. And so this podcast season is all about unpacking that. And I'm spoiler alert, we are finishing this season on a note of hope. Wow. So we've got a wonderful theologian one of the world's leading theologians Mm. is going to close us off and end us on a note of hope. So if at any point during this season you feel a bit anxious, just hold out for episode 10 and it's all going to be fine. So it's going to be a long, dark, (laughs) awesome season. Get ready for it. No, that's re- that is really good. I, I think you're right. The world, you know, let, let's face it, the scripture tells us, you know, things are not getting better, they're getting worse until, you know, Christ comes again. Um, but I think what we're seeing at the moment is a shift of eras, people would say. Yeah. A shift in how we think about our personhood, how we do, how we interact with each other, how we think about our bodies, about science, about all of that. So it's not just there are wars and rumours of wars, although no. absolutely that is what's going on. But there's our very sense of self, how we operate in this world, how we connect. The world both feels both cosmically massive, but also shrinking, doesn't yeah, it? Like the yeah. lines of, are you for this or are you against that? Are you for that person or against it? Sometimes the world becomes very small and yeah. very... So I think it, it, we are going to be jumping between those spaces and it, it's going to be a really interesting ride. And the guests that we've got lined up are people that have been thinking in this area for a significant amount of time. So you'll be grateful to hear, although that was wonderful, that was a wonderful opening up of the of the theme, uh, Rachel. Uh, you'll be pleased to hear that it isn't just going to be us talking about these things because uh, we know some things, but we don't know enough to fill 10 episodes. So uh, we've got a cast of fantastic uh, guests who are coming up. Just to tease a few of them, we've got uh, Will Vanderhart, Reverend Will Vanderhart, Coming up, we've got Dr. Kate Middleton. We've got Reverend uh, Dr. Kate Reverend Middleton. Reverend Dr. Kate Middleton. Uh, we have Krish Kandaya. Mm-hmm. We have a whole bunch of brilliant people, uh, some of whom, of course, will be um, speaking at the National Youth Ministry Weekend. Uh, but we're going to meet our very first guest right now. You know, when someone applies for a job 
and you're a little bit, you, you, you sort of, it's a nice way of saying no, but you say you're a bit overqualified for this, aren't you? And Jeremy Mayle has an unbelievable kind of amount of experience in the youth ministry sector, but decided that she would like to come and be the researcher at Youthscape. So we, we bit her hand, I mean, not literally bit her hand off. With it. That would be that would be what dogs do. Um, no, don't don't let yeah, your dog do dog that. My dog does that. Um, but uh, but we did say yes, please. And so, Gemma, you've joined us, haven't you? I uh have. -huh. Yeah. And Gemma, do you want to just tell us a bit about your youth ministry kind of uh, background and story that before you joined Youthscape in March? Mm. Um, yeah. So I spent a lot of my adult life doing voluntary youth work. Um, worked for Scripps Union holidays, um, worked in local churches that we were part of and got to a point where I kind of thought, actually, I want to do this professionally. Um, so switched careers, went and retrained at Oasis when they were still doing youth ministry courses. And um, yeah, then in my kind of local area, was working for the church at the time and also working for the local youth service. Um, local youth service was disbanded and um, just really felt like there was more need for something that was more community-based than um, what was currently happening out of the church, something that was more one-to-one -one based, so much more around mentoring and support. Uh, and so myself and another volunteer just decided, well, we'll just set something up. So we did. And um, that was a charity that uh, I led for about 10 years. Um, we ended up doing outdoor education, ended up with a woodland uh, we did a lot of work in schools around sex and relationships, um, did youth groups, mentoring, uh, all sorts of stuff, really. Uh, and that sort of year six transition um, that we were talking about mm -hmm. earlier on as well, um, used some resources to sort of help young people with that. And um, absolutely loved it. Really loved everyone that I worked with, um, but just felt like I'd done research before in a different kind of context, so in a medical informatics context. And... Um, I'd left research because essentially didn't feel like it was something that was tangibly making a difference on a day-to-day -day for me and just wanted to have more of that people contact you mm. know, kind of feel like things I was I was doing something impactful and um, yeah and then kind of got to the point with youth work where I was feeling like I'm doing all this sort of tangible stuff but the bigger picture kind of system change and just yeah just dealing with the injustices and and challenges in our society I'm, I'm not able to do any of that because i'm so busy with the, the mm. day to day and uh, the job came up here and um i wasn't really looking but it just i just thought this is my job and um yeah here i am Fantastic. and here you are and you're Fantastic. also a bit political as well are we allowed to talk about this you, you can talk well, about it. just tell us about your other little bit of your life um so yeah so when i when i joined youthscape i became really conscious that i wasn't doing anything in my local area anymore because i don't live in the Luton area and um the election the local elections came up and uh, so i just thought oh maybe i could do that and um so i just put myself forward to be a borough councillor and i got elected yes <laughs> so good yeah independent i'd like to say not affiliated oh, to any done. political oh, party awesome and you've got a degree in what sorry um I've got a degree, a PhD in medical informatics. A PhD in medical informatics, which Rachel and I which don't, I don't really even know what that anymore. is. <laughs> we have a couple of doctors. I know. Is that like the is that the <laughs> minimum requirement for the Youthscape Centre of Research? You I have to have a PhD. So. <laughs> wow. Oh, I love it. That is so 
good. That is so good. And, and before you've come armed with lots of like just tantalizing things. So people listening to this, if you're anywhere near pen and paper or some way of capturing stuff, I would I would encourage you to go and kind of take note now because we're going to be really digging into some things. But Gemma, what what diff what what's your dream about how youth workers in the church or working in parachurch organizations? What difference can good research make? Like what what is it that you think happens when youth workers get involved with some of the stuff that you're talking about? Um, I think from my own experience, working within a church, you can end up in a bit of a bubble. And uh, I think where research has really helped me is actually understanding the bigger context of what's going on um, in the world outside of my bubble. And particularly where I live is a very, it's a rural area. It's um, it's quite a homogenous population. Um, so it's just really helpful to kind of just see things from a bigger perspective, really. Um, but I think also just, you know, is interesting for one thing. I mean, I find it interesting, but just thinking about well, what does this actually mean, and and what does that mean for me and how I'm working as a youth worker and the relationships that I'm building with young people. So we've um, we've given you a bit of a request at the start of this new season. We're looking into the future, and we thought it would be a good place to start to actually ask, you know, what what do young people think about the kind of issues that they're dealing with at the moment, and and what do young people think about future hope and the world that they're being asked to navigate right now. And so I think you've come armed with some some thoughts, some statistics. I don't think graphs will work, but certainly you can give us some snapshots into what's going on. So where do you want to start? Yeah, um, I'm going to start with, I think, the sort of financial insecurity for young people. Mm. Um, there's been quite a few research reports um, around that. The co-op did some work um, last year and the RSA have done some work as well. They've done a couple of reports that... Um, really just um, talking about young people's experiences of how life is for them now and how things are for their families, but also what are they looking forward to or worried about into the future. And I think something that really struck me was how few young people think they are going to actually be able to own a house in their lifetime. Wow. Um, and then there was some research by the Prince's Trust more recently, which actually talked about um, for a majority of young people, their aspiration, one of their aspirations is to have a basic standard of living um, mm. into adult oh, life. Gosh. And, you know, I look back at, you know, I'm 44 and I look back at my kind of teenage experience and, and looking forward and just think how, how much more optimism and hope they kind of mm. felt about you know, what you were going to do with your life. And, and it felt like, you know, the world was open to you. And uh, and I think that feels very, very different now. That's interesting, isn't it? If, if the aspiration is to have a decent standard of living, because that's kind of pulled the rug out from some of the rites of passages that kind of make someone feel they are an adult. So it's like you pass your driving test, get in a car and owning property. And again, we know that, you know, not everybody travels that journey and, and neither should those be the, the main no. indicators of being an adult. But it's interesting if a generation are looking at adulthood and thinking some of those things that would kind of be a sign of independence, autonomy, all the rest of it. I just, they're just not on their it's radar. This just isn't yeah. going to be what... And so I, it's interesting to ask that question, what what makes a young person feel like they are an adult? Do they mm. want that? And Because that's, that's an interesting sociological question alongside that, isn't it, as well? And that must be especially hard when social media is so full of very aspirational success. So the things that influencers post on Instagram mm, and other, TikTok, other th yeah. TikTok and so on. It's all about, you know, I've, I've made it, I've got this car, I've got all these followers, I've got this success. So that really reinforces that, doesn't it? Doesn't it? That, the desperation of that. 
Where will that? I wonder where that leads. Do you get a sense with the research you're doing how young people feel about that and what that is is doing in them? Is it the divide maybe between the haves and the have-nots? Mm. Or mm, I think you know, I think a lot of that is related to their um, perceived lack of interest in politics as well. So I, you know, when you talk to them about actually why you know you're not interested in politics, they are interested in politics. It's just they're not interested in the political structures we've got today because economic insecurity is one thing that is kind of they feel squeezing them out of that. That's fascinating. So in Austria, like on parts of in the rest of Europe, not owning your own home is quite normal, isn't it? Like renting is something like Vienna, like 80% of property or something. I've made that, that stat. <laughs> I'm saying this with research. You thought I was what? safe. You thought I'd if, I, if I pick Vienna, and, I and Vienna. she's not oh, going to know about Vienna. that. Um, but it's so that in, in that sense, you'd expect that maybe not to be an aspiration, but in a place where actually communities are really... Mm. The demographics of the estate, yeah, an estate that is all social housing, then the, in the next door area, everyone actually owns their own home. They, those become these real indicators, don't they, of kind of class, that horrible word, you know, mm. they're up against all the time. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Well, the other thing I think is um, looking at their, the way they conduct their relationships. And I think it's really easy for us to look at how they you know, work online you know, to mm. communicate with each other and, and how connected they are online mm. and to... Um, what's happening now is that young people are, instead of going out and making new friends online so much, they're actually transitioning their existing friendships into online spaces. So um, it's not, I think, you know, we've had a lot of worries in the past about who are they connecting with? And, and obviously there are still concerns around that. But on the whole, it seems to be that it's it's people that they know in person that they are. Mm. Um, moving into those spaces and, and they might look like they're spending less time with people um, physically they are um, but actually you know in terms of being connected to people they're not necessarily less connected it's just happening in a different way and they're navigating these spaces in in ways that we have never had to um, and that, you know I actually think we can probably learn a lot from them about how to conduct relationships online into the future because they, they are growing up doing this and they're going to have you know really valuable stories to tell about that into the future whereas we're, we're trying to help them navigate something we've never had to do. Um, That's so interesting. So do you get the sense from looking at that bit? Of, I mean, I would say that my experience totally resonates with that. Mm. I totally agree. That's exactly what I'm seeing, both with my own daughter who's just started year seven and also young people I work with. Is there is there a sense in which they've forgotten that the internet is a global thing? Like they've just, they're just like, nah, I just want to chat my friend who lives two doors down. But, or is it a safety precaution? Like it's almost like an internalised, it is so dangerous that actually what's developed is practices that actually are quite or or is it actually that's just the way it would always evolve because really we can only maintain a certain amount of you know friendships so it, it's not surprising that that's how social media I, don't, I mean what's your sense of why why is that yeah I don't I mean this is just my thoughts not any research or anything it's 80% in Vienna yeah. <laughs> <laughs> see I've deliberately not quoted any statistics today. Well done. <laughs> she's a doctor um, yeah I think I think in some ways I think there's a natural there you know there's a guinea pig generation for new things aren't there so they're coming through as the first generation to be completely online um so the the mistakes you know on our part in terms of you know youth workering and parenting them are, are going to be more profound perhaps than they, they're going to learn from us as much as from their experiences and then they will parent and youth work in a different way because mm. of that um but they won't be necessarily dealing 
with something so completely new as you know as we have been in terms of working with them and supporting them how how much do you think the pandemic had an impact on you know the idea that young people are actually more comfortable conducting a relationship online that that might be the way that they do it now how how much is that of that is a function of what they had to go through to to survive through the mm. pandemic yeah, I mean, I'm sure the pandemic's had a huge impact. If you look at some of the stats, you know, you do see spikes in in graphs mm. you know, as a result of of the lockdowns and, and the lack of kind of in person spaces that people could meet in. Um, but I think it, what we kind of feel is that it's accelerated things rather than um, you know cause new things. Right. To okay, that's interesting. So, um, yeah, so I think it's things that would have happened anyway, but probably just not at quite the pace that they have. Now, I I now have two. I don't want to embarrass anybody here least of all myself, I've got two Doctorates. teenagers in the house who are, you know, have got b- boyfriends and girlfriends mm. around. Uh, and so I'm learning that the world has changed. Now, you may be listening to this and thinking, you dinosaur, we all know this. But there's like different stages, right? And Rachel, you're still the guru when it comes to sex and relationships, Gosh, no, right? Not at all. You're still the guru. <laughs> so so just help me understand it, right? So you, you, you're texting... And then you're talking, or are you talking and then you're texting, and then and then you're dating. And also, what is this situationship thing you were oh, talking yes. about in the summer? No, yeah, situation. I, I don't know if there is a. Is there not a formula? A, I don't I don't think there is. And I think again, I mean, I think that the, the difficulty is that that we as practitioners we have a very specific. If you're working in a specific area, the, the challenge is to think what's specific to this area and how this community works and what can you extrapolate as that is because they're part of Gen Z. And I think that there's increasingly less of those oh. things to, I would say, to pull out. It's not out. even a universal thing. Well, I'd be, very, I'd be very surprised. I think the young people that I work with absolutely are not conducting relationships online, okay. and but they're not conducting romantic relationships offline either. Right. Um, but they are having sexual experiences online and offline. So a situation relationship is where for that moment you're with somebody and it is meaningful but there isn't kind of there's not a kind of a I'm I'm faithful to them it's exclusive right. it is it's not a booty call it's not a you know yeah friend with benefits it's it's not even that it's just when I'm with these people they I might have experiences with them or I might have some depth with them but when I'm not with them I have other people so it's a kind of a it's a strange kind of economy yeah. Of relationship. But I don't know if that if that happens the same in a different community right. with just a bit more tech. So the young people I work with don't really have access to tech very much. They, they share phones, they pass phones around, they share right. them with their mum. Okay. So I don't I don't know what I'm seeing is across the board. But when I did satellites, when I did situationship, really I was talking about how do you spot coercive controlling behaviour in your friendships. And then also in your romantic relationships online. That's really what I was okay. talking about. Yeah. All right. So you should have come to it really, shouldn't you, Martin? Do you, yeah, as soon yeah. as you ran satellites. You, you uh, Gemma, let's, let's shut her up for a second. <laughs> Gemma, you're, you're a mum as well, aren't you? How are you seeing this kind of relationship, friendship? You can go either way if you want to. You can talk about sex and relationships or you can talk about friendships. But how are you seeing kind of friendships play out in the community and the people that you know? Uh, not not so much as the the statistics yeah. show, actually. Mm. Um, so the, the stats will say that young people are, are less likely to be having sex, that they are less likely to be in a relationship. 
Um, but yeah, I'm not necessarily mm. seeing that myself. I think this is the thing though, as you're saying, that there's trends and there's data we can look at that's, you know, gives you an overall picture of what might be going on. But, you know, at the heart of that is individual young people in different contexts across the country that, you know, you can't generalize when you're actually talking mm. about an individual young person, can you? And I'm conscious, I don't want to sound like I'm just presenting a heteronormative view here, but I, the young people that I work with, so it's a deprived estate. And again, I don't know if that's the factor here or what it is, but the girl, the teenage girls will only really connect with teenage girls and the boys, it, that, that the cultures are so different. Mm. So our youth drop in, the boys' behaviour is they are sort of full on alpha male. They're doing all the sports. They're climbing over the fences. They're the ones that are the most vocal. And the girls will be all sat in a huddle together, not really doing anything, not engaging in any activities, really quite quiet, yep. um, quite strong characters. But quite quiet. The moment they leave the, the, our place, yep. the boys, I don't know where they're off to and what they're doing. The girls are so vocal on social media to us, messaging us via the Instagram, via the like, you know. So suddenly the girls online will be really chatty with the youth workers in a very safe, you know, we manage that in a really safe, safe kind of way. But the boys won't have any contact with us until we next see them the next day at the drop-in. Mm -hmm. And they don't, they will obviously be having interactions with each other. Um, but we don't see much friendships where guys and uh, girls are in the same. And, and I wonder if in other communities, there is much more guys and girls having friendships, guys and girls are having dating relationships. We, I just don't see that in my community. In fact, there's a real divide. Wow. And is that, so this, what we're really kind of unraveling here is this idea that it all looks different everywhere. Yes, you know, basically. Wherever you are, yeah. this, these statistics or trends yeah. might be really accurate or completely yeah. wide of the mark. It's a bigger story and they're part is there, of. Is there something to say about why that's happened? Like, is there a lack of a clear steer from anyone that's shaping young people? So is it a bit random? Is it sort of, if you live in this sort of community, you'll be shaped by these sources and these people. And if you live in, in, in this kind of community and you have access to this technology, you'll be more shared, shaped by these things. Yeah. And the, then the bigger question is, what role is the church playing now yeah. in, which it would have played a big role in helping to form young people's idea of, of how you have friendships and healthy relationships. This is a really unformed thought, but... Um, I mean, these are all unformed yeah, thoughts. Yeah, they are. <laughs> but I think algorithms have a massive part to play in this. So, um, but there's also the social algorithms of your community. So downstairs this morning, I met with some lo lovely young people from Luton High School and I just dropped... So at the moment in the news currently, as, as you're listening to this podcast being recorded, um, the Russell Brown stuff has just yeah. hit the media. So downstairs, two very engaged young women in Luton, age 15, 16 and I said about Russell Brand and they said who and what wow. now my social media feed is full of yeah. Russell Brand stories and then so in my world that whole thing around consent and he thought they were consenting but actually they look back and go actually I wasn't consenting or, or yeah. whatever it might be that's a really important conversation I want to have with young people yeah. but the young people on the estate in Blackburn and the young people here in Luton haven't even heard who Russell Brand How is interesting. And, and, and so there's a social algorithm isn't there there's an algorithm of what they're actually listening what, what comes up on their feed because of what they like but there's an algorithm of, of the culture that they're in as well yeah. and Russell Brand is just not in their frame he's not in their imminent frame so there's a conversation that I think I want to talk to them about consent and here's a brilliant way in 
yeah. is utterly defunct. It's dead. Well, yeah, or you have to introduce it from scratch when you talk but about it. But it has very little power then, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah. Because it's not actually... So I think that what's lacking now is where are the big narratives, the stories of... of so, so Trump probably and Boris Johnson... Those political figures are probably the best because yeah. they just invade the whole of they all know they're global. Yeah, 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 Putin. Yeah. So yeah, actually, yeah. gone are the days where where the youth culture subsect chucked up some people that everybody knew about. They don't exist anymore. It's so specific. So we have to look to the politicians. You know, wow. that's interesting, isn't it? We're gonna have to look to other places. Yeah, I like the the idea of there being no universal narratives. Or almost no universal narratives. Current trends, yeah. And we find that very hard because we love in the church, we love a bit of cultural relevance. Yes. Don't we? We love to sort of plan a talk that's got some cultural relevance to it. But actually there are fewer and fewer of those They're global crises. The cultural relevance are global crises. Yeah. Or I noticed uh, satellites when I said the words Taylor Swift. Oh, well, now, Everybody went crazy. Now that that's really... There's a universal narrative. And she is rare. Tell mm. me a male v- version currently now. Of Taylor Swift. It's not even Kanye West up for his all his yeah, strange behaviour. So yeah, so it's so, it's so interesting, isn't it? So she's got into the social imaginaire. That's yeah. what's happened to her. Good but word. She, but how long will she last there? But interestingly, in this conversation with these Luton young people who come from very different worlds, so my upbringing, when I was their age, when I was their age, we're talking uh, late 80s, 1980s, when I was 15, 16, what was I into? Wuthering Heights and Anna Green Gables. Downstairs, this 15-year-old girl from Luton, yeah. the one illustration she chose, she talked about Anna Green Gables. Yeah. And I, well, what's that about? But I, but in in my head, suddenly it's like, wait a minute, that was my cultural reference. And here's her and I from very different walks of life, you know. And we both quote Anna Green Gables. Like, I don't know what I do with that, but that just made me laugh so much. Well, that's the big teaching did point from this that? podcast. Did you spot I did. That in the I thing? did think, what on earth Where's is going, she going on? What is going on here? How have you? <laughs> how have you read Anna Green Gables? So that made me laugh so much. It made me think, I'm still relevant. That that was the point to draw from it. Yeah, well done. I'm relevant. So it is. So I think that maybe one of the things that's coming out of this journal, we'll come back to you and your things, um, is this this obsession that the UK youth ministry has had in the past on relevance. We just kind of got to get rid of that. What makes us relevant is being holy, isn't it? It's being oh. set apart. It's loving Jesus and saying Jesus is good news for these young people. That is our relevance. You know, we we try and learn this stuff and we listen. That's really important. But that that was, yeah, I think that's a key thing. Well, anyway. that's, that's new. Gemma, sorry, you're still here. <laughs> we're, we're having a jolly old conversation. <laughs> Anna Green Gables and uh, Trump. Anna Green Gables and how old we're getting. Thank Lord. Uh, so, so yeah. So, what else? What else is helpful for us to think about in in the world of young people and the future? I think I'm just going to pick up on what you've just said, actually, because I think you're really right about um, the relevance. You know, because I mean, you take someone like Andrew Tate, for example. Oh and no, that's a universal name. It is, but then you look at. So there was a survey. I think it was a BBC one. I'm not sure. Um, where they 38% of young people that um, had viewed his content, boys and girls actually liked it. So mm. you've got a universal narrative, but you've got very yeah. kind of divided yeah, opinions on that. Yeah, they're not united, are they? You're right. No, they're not. And um, and that's something that's quite interesting about, you know, we tend to think of young people being more progressive and, and mm. thinking, you know, more liberally, perhaps than older generations, but actually um, 
racist and sexist bullying is on the rise as yeah. well. Yeah. So it's it's a very kind of complex picture, really. Mm. Mm. Yeah, we do like to spin narratives around young people, around them being more tolerant and mm. liberal and progressive. I think I think it's tied up with the fact that we hope they'll be better than the current generation. Yeah. <laughs> um, but you know, we project this thing on young people. I mean, I have. If I had a penny for every time I've been at a youth event, mm. you know, where someone said, young people are passionate about justice, they're activists. I'd have, first of all, I'd have about 37 pence, but also uh, it's totally, it's mm. just a totally inaccurate picture. Mm. There are some young people who are very passionate about justice issues, but it's not anything like the majority of them. Mm. The vast majority of them, you know, young, young people understandably, because they're going through this rapid period of, of change and development, are thinking about themselves and what in their interaction with the world. It's not that they're selfish, it's that they have to think through the frame of themselves. Mm. Um, so I think we, you know, we do that with... We do that with lots of things, don't we? We think they're politically, you know, uh, left-leaning. We think that they are, uh, that you know, that they hate racism, sexism mm. and ge genderism, all that stuff. But of course, mm. it, all those things are, as you say, on the rise. It's, it is interesting because I find the climate justice thing really, really conflicting because I totally agree with you. And I get very worried when I hear um, sort of quite big organisations or big senior leaders of churches sort of say, well, the most important thing is that the church talks about climate justice. And I'm like, I'm not sure that's where I take this. Um, because I think I do, and I want to be a youth worker that if there isn't concern about climate, that I agitate that because yeah. I think it is part of helping young people wake up to being less egotistical and more world-centric. But you're absolutely right to say the very stage of adolescent development that we're dealing with, because we love it because we're youth workers, is they are tribal. They're moving from egocentric to tr to kind yeah. of ethnocentric. Yeah. And so it's where these things like racism or transphobia or climate, just it's where it touches something to do with their new peer group. Yes. So if their friend is black or a different racial identity yeah. or gay or whatever yeah. it might, that, that's where then these become... The, the thing they want to talk about. And I think that's what's really, that's what I love about working with very young, young people. Because if you've known them since they were eight, nine, 10, I really enjoy seeing them begin to make contact with these big ideas mm. through the lens of mm. loving their friend. Mm. And I think if we can help them also then see that justice is a way of being a really good friend, but also it's not just justice for this one person here, but it's for the people that you don't like. I mean, that's the beautiful message of, that's the mm. trajectory mm. of justice in mm. scripture, isn't it? Towards grace, like, yeah, be, be speak out for this friend here, but what about the person that everybody in culture hates and you probably hate as well? So I think it, I love being a youth worker. I love hearing the reason research that Gemma's bringing can really help inform us, but let's be careful that we don't conflate this then and say, well, then it's all about, it's all about this. Because what I hear from young people is when they want the church to be more accommodating or more open or more inclusive or more diverse, actually at the heart of it often when it boils down is, it's actually create a space where I'm safe to be me and I'm not going to be judged. And, mm. and, and actually I'm, I, can, I can hold different ideas in tension if I know this space is kind. Yeah. It's not that the church is now the safe, it's a safe church because they're really passionate about climate activism. Well, no, it's, so I think it, we do need to be quite clever at how we read this and, and where we take it, mm. I think is quite important. Gemma, I'm going to stop talking. You've got more no, things no, on your good. list. It's good. Yeah. I do. Safety is actually really important. And mm. I, I think often when they're saying, you know, I'm concerned about the climate, I'm concerned about economic insecurity, at the root of that is, is their feeling of safety and actually, is this a safe world for me to grow up 
as an adult into and and how are you as the adults now making this world safe for me as I navigate mm. into this into the unknown you see what she did then that was very good yeah as we get navigating into the unknown you sat up suddenly well, very I upright did. on your chair and me and Gemma both stopped talking thinking Sorry. he's about to say no something. it's slightly I've got a bad back um oh. but also I think that that well, there's two things going on there. Young people do feel profoundly unsafe. Mm. And one of the things that we sometimes confuse for young people's passionate activism is actually their fear about the future mm. and their fear about the future not being okay for them. Again, that's not selfishness. Mm. That is entering into this new world and trying to understand and find your place in it and thinking, am I, you know, when we started, am I going to be able to ever own my own yeah. property? Am I ever going to like be able to make ends meet? Am I going to have to be able to have a car and nice things? Will I have a job? A year ago, we were asking, I think a lot of young people were asking me when I was still doing youth work, yeah. <laughs> young people were asking me, you know, are we about to go into World War Three? Yes. What's World War Three going to look yeah. like? I, I had several evenings yeah. with kids around sort of, mm, I don't know, summer last year. May, June, July Is last the, year, yeah, where kids, where yeah. kids were asking the question, yeah. are we, are we, is well, are we about to have a nuclear war? What's mm -hmm. going to happen? And, uh, you know, and nobody trains you how to answer those questions. Um, and it's, again, it's not selfishness. It's an utter fear of the future. It's like, what world are we mm. being offered here? You know, it, they don't really understand interest rates and inflation, but every, if they looked at a newspaper, they would, they would see money seems to be out of control. Mm. You well, know, they will know a packet of chocolate, Whatever yeah. chocolate buttons yeah. used to cost a pound, and now it costs one pound fifty. I know it's nuts, isn't it? And back to this conversation with these two amazing girls, fifteen-year-old girls from Luton. I was chatting with them downstairs at Youth Games Day. So this is a classic, like youth work moment. So they're chatting. To, I was like, "What lessons are you missing today to be with us? Oh, we're missing this and this and this and da, da, da. And then one of the wonderful young women said, "Actually, I'm really passionate. That um, I know Rishi. She's launched. I know Rishi Sunak wants everyone to do maths until they're eighteen. I think all school." All kids should do economics until 18. And I, I mean, that word is like, by, by podcasters be like, what? So I was like, oh, oh, that's interesting. And then I say, so girls, Russell Brand. And they're like, who? <laughs> and then I say this, and I explain, I explain the scenario. Right. And this one girl goes, yeah, I don't know. But I really think that economics should be taught. Oh, <laughs> you should have said he was an economist. Trying to like talk about sex and consent, and she just wants to talk about the fact that actually economic insecurity for a fifteen-year-old girl in Luton is a concern for her. And if she, and she her thing was if the government care about this, they should put it on the curriculum. And I I was just like bowled over, like yeah. And things like you know, will I be able to have my operation? They're hearing about the millions of operations yeah. that cancel. Like if actually my mum got sick. Would she be able to get her operation or is she going to die? Like yeah. these these fears are not like, all of us have had fears of monsters and dragons. They just look different when you're a teenager. But actually the monsters and the dragons are real. Like yeah. that is terrifying. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you know enough now to know that bad things happen to good people. My mum could die. And the NHS might not be able to sort that. It's funny for me because Gemma, you're talking about your daughter, my uh, your, your children. My daughter is 11, just started high school. And... I am week four into her starting high school. Yep. It's doing a number on me. Is it, it is majorly because I, I keep thinking, am I preparing her right? But I also, I don't want to 
I don't want to get it wrong and talk about Russell Brand. We want to talk about economy, economics. Economics. Econo-da-da-da. You're definitely not the person I'm to talk not about the economics. <laughs> but it's really interesting watching it. So the second week in, Martin and Gemma, she was like, yeah. So there's about 300 kids in her year. It's a massive wow, high school. Big. It's big. Yeah. It's a local high school. I was passionate. You're going to the local high school. If I, if if the, if the that's good enough for our young people locally, it's good enough for my kids. And I'm just, I'm very passionate about that. And I'm in there to kind of help, you know, improve where it needs. Um, and so um, she was like, yeah. And uh, this person, this teacher um, asked someone to come and read a prayer. And I put my hand up. <laughs> in me, I was like, no, no. <laughs> don't. In year seven, read a teacher's prayer. Oh, no. Lord, save her. So I was like, oh, well done. <laughs> Don't feel you have to always, darling. There's lots of <laughs> Oh, wow. And then in the drop-in that night, one of the boys said to me, yeah, your, your daughter, she's so brave. She's so brave. I was just like, So oh. I am in that conflict. Like, I want her to be, I want her to lead. I want her to be independent. Yeah. I want her to sign up to every cooking club and chess club going. I want that because I think that's really important for her. But I also, you know, I just know what happens. <laughs> but she might be fine. Tell me she'll be fine. It's fine. Be fine. It's fine. You won't be. She'll no, be fine. She'll be, but she'll it is a different it. world. I realise we are all, uh, you know, we're all of a certain age, actually. Yeah, we are. Um, but, uh, you know, so we've got teenage or, or yeah. secondary school age kids. And uh, what one of the things you realise from this, you may not, you, you may be listening to this, you don't have children or you don't have teenage children. One of the things you realise is you you don't really know have young no people. <laughs> you, you don't, youth ministry and raising teenagers, two completely different disciplines. And it's hard to do it together. Very hard. It's very hard to do it together. We haven't talked much about technology. Oh, Gemma. But obviously that is going to be, um, we did talk about it a bit, but that is, that's going to be one of the focuses of this season. I'm really looking forward to what you have to say, <laughs> Rachel, considering you can't actually like log into your email. Uh, but, uh, but, you know, we're going to be talking about AI. I mean, I, interestingly, you know, that idea that... Um, Jobs might yeah, be taken Hollywood. by machines. Yeah, Hollywood. Well, this is Hollywood. Hollywood writer strike, isn't yeah. it? And and an actor strike is all around that. So, I wonder. I wonder if young people have fears around employment as well. Yeah, it's interesting actually because I was listening to there's a a summit, teen summit last week on BBC Radio Five Live, and uh, there's quite a few programs on that where they've been interviewing teenagers. They've had panels of teenagers asking questions, and there was one where they had Martin Lewis. Um, oh, the money saving expert. Yeah. Uh, and um, and he actually got asked a question about uh, basically is is AI going to take away our jobs and wow. so how are we going to economically survive and he declined to answer said it was outside of his field oh, really? of basically yes isn't it is that's what that is oh my god but but what's interesting as well is um, I was reading a paper about uh, youth workers perceptions of AI um, which was a European Commission project and youth workers are also concerned about the impact of AI. AI uh, on their jobs, particularly because of the economic kind of climate and how youth services tend to get cut. Um, and so, you know, the risks. You know. So that'd be the youth work sector mm. as opposed to youth ministry. Yeah. So that's yeah, interesting, yeah. isn't it? Our colleagues in the youth work sector are concerned that they could be replaced by a, a very highly intelligent empath. Exactly. On the other end yeah, of like yeah. a bot. Yeah. Chatbot on your phone. Yeah. We could go on for some time. I think we've already done a bit. Uh, we've done quite a lot in this episode. Uh, so we've kind of laid the the groundwork for the season ahead. 
um, we're going to be looking at, as we said, you know, we're looking at AI technology. We're going to be looking at the future. We probably should do a bit on economics by the sound mm, of things. We should. We'll so we're going to cover all sorts of things. But Gemma, thank you for being yes, our first Gemma. guest. You're welcome. And, yes. uh, and sort of laying the statistical groundwork before we plug you back in, in your cupboard. <laughs> she actually is an AI. She's not real at all. Oh, That's ow. not true. That's not She's true. She's an embodied, embodied, beautiful, fantastic human being. Um, I, it's more than just the groundwork. You've laid like these mines. <laughs> like, I think the stuff's going to go off in this season. It's really exciting. Like, where will this take us? We never know with this podcast journey. And only the Lord knows. And we're in safe hands if we're in his hands. <laughs> so, Martin, um, I am about to get on the, in the car back to Blackburn. You're about to go back to Rygate. I think both of us will soon get back into our regular gear that is not suited and booted. People do treat me a bit differently in a suit. Have you noticed that today? Yeah. Do, uh, men in suits, they're invisible, though. I do I, I do sometimes think, are there uniforms that are like, oh, it's a guy in a suit? Because I do think this is where, like, I'm wearing a very bright green suit. That's not invisible. It's not invisible. Very in invisible. fact, the Archbishop of Canterbury was still on the road downstairs and someone asked me, you're very bright. Could you stand next to him so trucks don't go, don't drive him over? I was actually asked to body block the Archbishop of Canterbury because I'm wearing a bright outfit to wow. make sure that no one kills That's him. That's a claim to fame, So I think, I, I mean, the, the, the view was obviously I'm collateral damage, but he'll be fine. So there we go. We're high biz next time. I don't think we've got anywhere we can go from there. No. Uh, the this, Archbishop is saved. This has been the first <laughs> in an occasional series of podcasts from the Escape team. Um, we will be back uh, with another installment next yes. week. Uh, you can, of course, find out all about the National Youth Ministry Weekend. Oh, yes. Themed Into God Knows What. Uh, I thought you were going to do the song. Into God Knows What. Is that the same? I thought I think, that, was, I don't know. that was more Beauty and the Beast. <laughs> I'm going to get done. Uh, into God knows what. Uh, you can find out all about that, youthscape.co.uk forward slash NYMW. Or there's a new website you can go to, which is nymw.info. Oh, it's the same wow. website. It's just two, it's like two doors. It's the same. Don't the understand. Same Don't understand tech. We love you, lovely people. Thank you for joining us. And we look forward to chatting with you next week. That there's a danger, isn't there? That we actually maybe there isn't. I've stopped talking. David poo, we, bums poo. We. <laughs> I was I was talking rubbish. Yeah. Um, I was going to say a very clever point, David. You can pull this out as well now. I can't. Be... Oh. <laughs> oh, Gemma. It looks like Putin's dinner table. If you've seen that <laughs> pictures of that. <laughs>